Everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm not Matt Townsend. I'm Julie Rose. Matt is away on vacation. The good doctor is getting a little bit of uh, much-needed R&R on a beach somewhere, I think. Is that right, Merritt? Somewhere in the Caribbean. The Caribbean, a cruise ship, maybe. He taunted us with the I possibility know. of photos yeah, on his not, Facebook page. And yet he hasn't. Not so yet. So I feel like... He's All right, Dr. Matt, you hear us out there? Enjoying himself a little too much, maybe. We'll I, find out. I could use the good <laughs> photo of a white sand beach right about now, with this <laughs> cold gray weather we've been having in Utah. Here we are. I cannot believe it's the second week of January already. In some ways, Christmas feels like it happened 20 months ago. I don't know. It's a distant <laughs> memory, right? But, you know, we've just come through that frenzy, the most consumer-oriented time of the year where we, it seems like all we do is buy and return and give and worry about whether or not we bought the right thing and worry about our bank account. It's like a, I don't know, it's, it's stressful and exciting. And we're talking about that today. We're talking about shopping, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're talking about not only shopping, but the fact that we have to be a little bit smarter about what we buy. And it's all too easy. I feel, I don't know, I'm one of those people who, like, if I have cash in my pocket, it will get spent. And I'm not <laughs> sure exactly where it goes. But I don't really think twice. It's right. just this paper that you hand over. And it's just kind of like this esoteric concept that you don't And it's think worse about now it. that we can do so much with debit cards, I think. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I mean, it's like, it's almost like play money sometimes where yeah. you just can swipe the card and nothing has to come if out I of your this, wallet, really. New, you don't yeah. have to count up the bills. I also uh, think that online shopping, which we'll talk about a little bit later, how that sort of affected things. I mean, Amazon knows my credit card number and yeah. <laughs> it is so easy to make like three clicks and buy something. Yeah. I have bought things I did not know I was buying because yes, I have too. I and just... all of a sudden it says, congratulations on this purchase. And I'm thinking, hold, 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 hold on a second. Yeah. I did not mean to buy that, but you know, I've done that with movies far too often. I'll get on Amazon. I'm like, Oh, I really want this DVD in the next moment. I'm downloading it on HD. Whoops. How great is that? Yeah. yeah. Great. And the money just kind of goes, but yeah. I am completely, I will spend $5 here, $5 there, but if it's a big purchase, I don't know, like $50 or $100 or more, then I just have like anxiety. I mean, I do not like spending Mm. that amount of money, but I will gladly spend $100 in a day if it's all $5 bill (laughs) purchases, right? (laughs) It's a crazy psychology that goes into Mm -hmm. our consumption. Yeah, it's crazy that you you can just burn through money really quickly. I I had the same experience with the Amazon Prime thing, you know, just going through them and then all of a sudden, boom. I accidentally bought something for about five bucks. <laughs> you know, it's crazy how easy it can just leave your pocket just like that. Yeah, I, I am. I'm very susceptible to sales and clearances. Oh. If something is less than ten dollars, then there's no reason not to buy no, it. No, I, I will be losing <laughs> money if I don't buy it because I will miss out somehow on this. I don't know. All of a sudden, my thinking goes upside down. I forget about all the things I could buy with that ten dollars mm-hmm. or the hundred dollars if I saved them all up. And instead, I'm thinking, oh, ten bucks if I wear this shirt three times. I think I made my money back. It's fine. I'm going to spend <laughs> exactly. it. Maybe I'll never wear it. It's, I didn't need it. It was a waste. And those clearance racks are just so appealing. You yeah. know, they're all set up and they have these signs next to them, little red tags that make you feel good. You know. 
I, and and, and we think that somehow we're in control when we walk into a shopping setting. (laughs) No, no, no. we are no more in control than we are when you have, if you've ever been to a casino in, in uh, Las Vegas and all you need is to find the hotel check-in and yet you have to walk through the entire casino floor (laughs) in order to get there and be bombarded with all of this stuff that's trying to get you to do things. You know, we are not in control and uh, we are being manipulated whether you think you're smart about it or not. And that's actually what's really maddening. But we're going to learn about that, I think, a little more on today's show. So yeah, definitely. I'm hoping to learn some strategies that will keep us from, keep me from spending money unnecessarily and ending up with that regret that always comes when I get home or when all of a sudden you've got that movie on your (laughs) laptop that you, oh, I really wasn't that. I wasn't $8 (laughs) worth interested in that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are we're talking today about about con- consumption more than shopping even. We do have a an expert guest who's going to come up later on the show to talk with us about the psychology behind what what we buy and how maybe we can buy in ways that will contribute to our well-being. How would that be <laughs> instead of to feel that guilt and regret every time we spend um, and we're also going to talk about women's shopping habits. We've got mm-hmm. one of our regular contributors coming on the show in the next hour. So it'll be a great show today. I'm really excited to be here and thrilled to be trying to fill the big shoes of Dr. Matt Townsend. So thanks for having me along. Merritt, let's talk for a minute about these new ways to new shop. ways to shop. It because seems... even 10 years ago, it was a different... Oh, you definitely. had to go to the mall yeah. if you wanted to buy something. You know, and I'm... I'm classically, I don't know, I am so technology, technologically impaired for a millennial that I don't really know what I'm doing ever. So all of these were quite a surprise, super interesting to me. And one thing is, I mean, we all know smartphones and they can contribute to our shopping on so many different levels. Mm. And one is just the app. You can have an app for a certain store. And I've only ever really heard when you have like an Amazon app, but stores are starting to release their own apps for each particular really? particular store. Um, H&M is a big one. They huh. have a really successful app. But- Wait a second. So oh, we have four people in this room. We've got Merritt, James, and we've got Mike, producers here for the show. Has anybody here ever purchased something from an app aside from maybe like a Google Play or an, an Amazon app? <laughs> well, I feel like one way that I really use apps on phones to help me with purchases is through coupons. Oh. That, Like, you know, I feel like the way things have changed in the past, you know, from the past is you used to have to scour through, you know, like the Sunday paper. You have all those different magazines of all the different coupons and stuff. You have to go through so much. But now you just download an app and you can just search, hey, this store, coupon. And then comes up results of like dozens of different um, potential coupons that you could use for that specific store for you don't specific have to print items. it out. You don't have to exactly <laughs> keep you just it take in your, your wallet. Phone. Yeah, exactly. That is amazing. That is amazing. But of course, while you're doing that, they're tracking your spending habits, so they know <laughs> even more about how to yeah. entice you to buy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's tricky. So you're saying that people are actually buying that new H and M dress yeah. on it through an app through rather an than going H&M to the app store. Rather than going to the store. And the interesting thing I think is I was reading a study this morning. Um, that was done by the Yankee group. And they went out and through their study kind of proved that Apple products have way more mobile shopping than any other products. So iPhone users and iPad users. iPhone and iPad users, about 30 percentage points more on average of how much they bought. Well, isn't that just because apps are better on, on Apple products? I mean, I have an Android phone and I feel like 
I can always count on the app being not as good as <laughs> yeah, if I had yeah, an definitely. Apple. It kind of limits my app activities. Yeah, and that seems to be what most people think is a thing. Um, another thing is just that iPhones in general are more expensive. So mm. if you have an iPhone, it's likely that you have more disposable income. Mm, yeah. But um, yeah, it's super interesting. 30 percentage points. And another thing is that the iPhone apps are usually a little bit more customized. So they will do those things like remember where your nearest store is if you need to go pick something up or where you're, you know, they'll remember those things and then come back to get you later with them. And mm. so that's another contributing force. Um, another interesting development in the world of shopping through technology has been online grocery shopping, hmm. which I've always been super skeptical of because that just seems silly to me. I think you want to look and make sure that your apples aren't bruised all over before <laughs> you they arrive at your door and you have to be Then again, I do know people who are have have a phobia of grocery stores or mm-hmm. that just especially if you're a mother with small children going oh, to the grocery yeah. store is torture definitely that grocery store shopping <laughs> is like a miserable yeah. activity so i could see where people wanting to just click and say please just bring me some good apples that's oh, all i need yeah, that's all i need so the interesting thing is so this has kind of been a small slower to start thing in super mm-hmm. urban areas san francisco is probably the city that has the most online shopping on like grocery shopping available. For well, delivery. this isn't a new thing because I, I mean, I worked in the Bay Area back mm-hmm. during the internet bubble in like 98 and there were new startups that were going to deliver your groceries yeah, to your yeah. doorstep. So <laughs> I guess they've had a good, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15 years to get off the ground and they've actually gotten traction now. And they've actually gotten traction. So there are quite a few different companies. Um, Walmart and Amazon are the ones that are pushing it the most right now. Amazon has, mm-hmm. it's called Amazon Fresh and they have guarantees like if you order something by 10 p.m. the night before, it'll show up on your doorstep before 7 a.m. the next morning. Wow. So if you're, you know, um, having a midnight snack or not quite midnight, I guess, but having a late <laughs> night snack, you know, oh, oh, dear, I'm out of milk. I can't have my breakfast cereal in the morning. All you have to do is go online, put in that you want some milk and it will show up before you even need breakfast. OK, so, so well, two things. First of all, what are they using FedEx? I mean, that must be incredibly <laughs> expensive. The shipping must be ridiculous on yeah. that. Hopefully it's coming from a grocery store down the street, right? Yeah, Not from home. like yeah. across the country. Mm-hmm. And secondly, do I have to be there to receive it? Because Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, I mean, my sister right here in Utah County subscribes to the delivery of produce and milk that she gets her right. She doesn't have to shop for produce because she's mm-hmm. on one of those like farming co-op things oh, that yeah, are really yeah. popular mm-hmm. now. Or Windard area will bring your milk. I mean, that's been going on. The milkman <laughs> yeah, yeah. used to always oh, come to your doorstep. You never used to have to go to the grocery store yeah, for so that. that's an interesting point. And I mean, you always worry. I wonder if people like will put a cooler outside their door. That wasn't something that I looked into. Um, the delivery, though, is definitely expensive. And that's one mm. of the hugest criticisms for online grocery shopping. Um, the lowest delivery fees are usually around $10. Higher delivery fees are around $60. Um, Amazon, in particular, being the one that was most popular, has a $300 annual fee. Mm. But then it will deliver your groceries free for the whole year. So that ends up being quite a bit cheaper if you yeah. buy groceries every week and then have it delivered. But, yeah, delivery is a huge yeah. cost there. Um, they have a freshness guarantee, though, so I assume I mean, true. it must yeah, be coming. Do. And most of these companies also have a refund policy that is no questions asked. So mm. if you're disappointed in any way, you can just, you know, 
get your money back. For that matter, I have seen a lot of grocery stores that will let you order your groceries online. Mm -hmm. And then all you have to do is just drive by. Like you can, I think Harmon's has done that here in Utah where you just order online and then you pull up and, uh, and, and just say, Hey, this is my name. Please Mm -hmm. bring me my groceries. And you already paid online Uh and you don't have to go, no setting a foot inside the grocery Mm -hmm. store for those that have, uh, you know, strong feelings. <laughs> I love strong feelings. that is the one kind of shopping I actually really love. I like I to browse the grocery store. Time, but um, yeah, so the super fast shipping is one that's a huge innovation. The other one is uh, price comparisons and online tools. So they have price comparisons or they have recipe apps that you can look on. So when you're searching for the kind of groceries that you need, it will say, you know, it looks like you're making cake. Do you want this and this and this ingredient? Hmm. So it kind of finishes things for you is kind of an added tool but again um lots of complaints about it too one thing that i thought was really interesting was what do you do with all the delivery boxes you Ugh. constantly get your food delivered in these amazon boxes what do you do with grocery them? bags are already a I, problem <laughs> enough how many of those just plastic grocery bags sink, do you have? To... right so yeah so boxes, and then boxes yeah. that's like a huge concern and if you not I very mean, sustainable i guess yeah definitely it? not so, you can't bring your own bags to your online shopping experience no, you so. can't and so you're huh. left with all these boxes so. yeah anyway so that's something that's definitely still developing not hasn't caught on a whole bunch yeah um I guess it all depends on what your need is, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah. all of these services develop to address a specific need, and grocery shopping is certainly something we all have to do, sometimes multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. It's where we spend, I would think, the bulk of our sort of yes, consumption definitely. income, that and gas, uh-huh. really, maybe rent, <laughs> too, obviously. But, you know, I, I guess it makes sense that grocery shopping would be something that, that would be kind of the online frontier, except that... We have such deep-seated feelings about oh, wanting definitely. to, you know, check our own apples. And <laughs> it's almost like an ancient thing. I mean, yeah. you go to the market. Go to the That's market. What we do. So, right. although now that it's so impersonal, now that we rarely know our neighborhood grocer, you don't yeah, know the, the butcher and the, the it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah, whether you're doing it yeah. online or not. Um, the interesting thing that I thought. So, continued my research. A lot of things that are ha- a lot of differences that are happening is that people will shop online, but they won't buy things online so Mm -hmm. kind of what we were just saying if you look you order your groceries online but you drop by the store to get them that's making a huge difference especially in retail and so people will go online and say they go to i don't know jc penny and they go and look at all the different coats jc penny has to offer online and they'll you know consider which ones they want and then when they go to the mall they'll walk right in grab the coat that they want shop and buy out Mm -hmm. and so that was causing retailers a lot of panic especially this past christmas season i'm sure everybody heard on the news about how shopping is a lot lower than it has or retail traffic is down bodies in stores were low but but sales were okay sales were up Ah. so um yeah, in 2007, shoppers made an average of 4.5 or t- or five visits to the store visits per shopping trip. So they'd go to lots of different stores, but now they go to fewer stores mm-hmm. um, because they know exactly where they want in each one. So that's really interesting because it's kind of the opposite of the early fear was that people are going to go to a brick and mortar store, they're going to try the merchandise out, and then they're going to get online and order it from Amazon for cheaper. Uh-huh. But right? the opposite is happening. And people They'll are actually trying to save online. time. 
Hmm. But then they'll go to the store to buy it so they can have it immediately. Yeah. Which is good for stores because if they can get over the need to sort of mark their success by how many bodies enter their store, it means they need fewer salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. And like yeah. less sort of money spent on the uh-huh. customer experience. So it's kind of working out really well. Um, for electronics, the... Uh, Sales were up 5% this past Christmas season, but their traffic was down 13%. So that just gives you an idea of how dramatically that shift is Mm. coming. So 13% is enough to scare any store manager. Right. But 5% increase in sales is something that maybe you probably wouldn't even expect. Yeah. Stores have to, retailers have to kind of rethink the way they track their success or measure their success in a holiday season. I will say, though, that this whole shop online, pick your thing, and then go to the real world to buy it does not always work out because the selection (laughs) can be endless online. Oh, yes. I, my mother and I spent an entire day over the holiday season looking for this one specific Play-Doh toy that my nephew had requested <laughs> yeah. for Christmas that he saw online at this particular store and that store didn't have it and neither did the one oh, next door and yeah. nobody in the entire valley had this one particular set <laughs> and it was so frustrating because the kid you know kids don't know any different if it's online it exists go get it for me mom yeah, or grandma definitely. right yeah so I don't know. I could see that kind of backfiring, but it's really interesting that what that stores thought was going to be the bad thing has turned out to be the good thing. Yeah, it's turned out to be the good thing. And then just kind of a last point, there's a lot of research going into the possibility of a more virtual shopping experience. Mm. So not only do we shop online, but they're going to bring online shopping or just kind of technology, technological shopping into your actual shopping experience. I know Google Glass has a lot of people thinking about this, but a lot of... um, Which would be where you're wearing a set of glasses that sees what you're seeing Mm -hmm. and it can like show stuff to you inside like virtual world kind of stuff. Normal. Totally futuristic. Anyway, but they're looking at iPhone apps and iPad apps and other ideas that would... For example, you walk into a grocery store and it would pull up everything in the store that is gluten-free if you have that sort of allergy or it will bring up a price comparison for you. So kind of trying to incorporate those apps into an actual in-store shopping experience. That hasn't quite happened yet, but that's something to watch out for in the future. Yeah. But even Google Maps is um, really uh, moving forward on that. I mean, they they mapped out like the interior of stores, you know. And yeah. so you're, when you're trying to find something, you just zoom in on your Google Maps and you can see like really? where everything is mm-hmm. in, in the store. So if you're in a, the amount of time the I waste that... in a grocery store yeah. exactly. looking for the one particular thing uh-huh. that is not where you think it should be. And then looking for a salesperson to help you. Yes, and then they is... have to go find another salesperson because they moved it. Yeah. Insane. Well, we're going to keep talking about this, about the idea that that shopping it has become more and more personalized, more and more technological. But at the same time, how is that affecting our likelihood to spend in some ways? It's not always about making shopping better for us. It's about getting more money out of our pocket. So mm-hmm. we're going to learn coming up in the next segment here about how stores trick your brain, make you want to buy that stuff you do not need. That's coming up on the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We'll take a break. Stay with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking today about smart consumption, how to buy smarter, how to spend our money in a more 
I don't know, wise, responsible way. I like to consider myself a pretty smart consumer, not that I don't fall for the tricks that advertisers are going to play on me. I, I feel like I, I can withstand the, the temptations that they throw at me at the checkout counter, and yet we've all fallen for it, even This is what makes me crazy is that the research shows, the psychological research shows that even when we know we are being manipulated, we still fall for this stuff. And retailers have become very, very savvy about getting us to buy stuff. So Mike Pond, you have been getting to the bottom of this, producer here at the the Matt Townsend show. How how are they doing it? What are stores doing to trick us? Well, it's they, they use a variety of different tactics. And, and you said before the break, I love to browse the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So obviously some of their tactics are working on you uh, yourself. And, you know, they, they use all these different tactics. And we purchase these things that we don't want, that we don't need, and, and we never intended to buy before we entered the grocery store. And it, it all, like, as soon as you walk in, this is decades of research that they're using against us. We're being mm-hmm. attacked. And it all starts with the lighting, the place of different things in the store. And if, if you walk into a grocery store, you might notice that the uh, fresh flowers are right there at the opening of the store. Most grocery stores, Especially right? like classy stores. Yeah, Especially the like stores. the Whole Foods type or, you know. That's, that's not a coincidence. They're trying to give the appearance of, you know, fresh food is here. This is a nice place kind of. Fresh it, off the farm truck. Yeah. It, you know, it would be huh. a lot different if you walked in and there was cat food and you know, spam on clearance. Okay, but then there are stores that are like that, where it's like the big box, like the bulk kind of stores that you can go to, you know, where you just see like the first thing you see when you walk in is like cans and cans piled up of like soup. <laughs> you know, right, it's right, not right. sexy, but no. it's like weird that all of a sudden then, then I'm thinking something very different. Like bargains are here. Look at all this cheap stuff. And you that know? affects what you're going to buy in yeah. the store. You're, yeah. it, it changes your mindset as soon as you walk in. But those stores, they're kind of looking for that fresh from the farm feel, you know, and, and you might even notice that these uh, staple foods that a lot of people buy, like milk, eggs, bread, they're at the back end of the store. Mm. They make you walk through the entire store to get the, they do that on purpose, sure you know, so do. you can walk by, see all the the deals and that kind of stuff. And that, that so is, your kids can see all the deals. And right. I don't have children, but I have all of my friends with small children say that. I mean, that's the worst. Your kid is in the cart going, "Let's get that. Can I have that, mommy? Oh, look at those cookies, mommy. Oh, I saw that on TV." And so it just makes it more miserable. They need to have all the milk, and if they were really caring about us, then the milk and the bread would be right in the front of the store, right? Right. And also along with that, you know, we. We look at the expiration dates on the milk and, and a lot of other items. Yeah, and we, absolutely. We may think that there's some uh, good, benevolent governing body that's trying <laughs> to protect us. But actually, those dates, uh, you know, some of those items don't ever expire or mm. they expire uh, long after the expiration date. And so they're, they're useless to us. They're just trying to get us to buy those uh, items by a certain date. And we buy so, into that. So you look in your fridge, you mm-hmm. see that the expiration date is passed, you toss the milk or the yogurt. Maybe it's still got a few days left on it, but it's true. You're, you sort of think you're going to be endangering your family if you serve them expired right. yogurt. But, uh, you know, and that's not always the case, but most times it is. But it is. I mean, I think I, I have certainly heard the expose reports where they, you know, there's maybe a couple of weeks longer in there than they're actually giving you on that stamp at the back of the product. And also with the water bottles, you know, we see expiration dates on there, but you don't need to be buying those water bottles anyway. That's just tap water. It and, is. Yeah. And, and some brands we've seen like Dasani, 
that actually is it, it dehydrates you because of the high sodium count in it, you know. <laughs> so there's there's all these kind of different tactics and and, and things that they use, uh, like the placements and stuff. But they really it's all about uh, color placement and hmm. and where things are in the store. They color color coordinating displays. You walk in the store and uh, you see these kind of uh, the, the retailers use these. What they're called uh, punitive pricing promotions. You were talking about earlier, kind of punitive, you, as yeah. in punishing. Yeah. So uh, if you don't buy now, you're going to miss out. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Buy one. Buy get another six. one. You get <laughs> get twenty percent off. Buy buy three. You get thirty percent off. And people know? don't know a lot of times that that it says you know buy two for five dollars. Well, you can actually buy one and still get the deal. Right. In most cases, you yeah. don't have to buy two and spend five dollars. You can just buy one and spend two fifty. You can still get the deal, but but the way that it's phrased just makes you think, well, I may as well get two. It's a great deal. Yeah, stores, spend twice as much money as you need. They're essentially tricking us into thinking uh, the more we buy, the more you save, which yeah. is not true at all. And um, without regard to actually how much you need of the product. And and so consumers, we, we love this. Uh, <laughs> we love these deals because they, they uh, reward our impulsive behavior. And that's also what the new and improved, you know, that we see on packaging and stuff like that. And this isn't even to mention in the last couple of seconds we have here, it's not even to mention the, all the technological, I mean, I, I, I will, I allow the grocery stores to track every purchase I make. They know exactly what I buy because I let them swipe my little membership card every time I come through because I want those extra pennies that I'm going to save on whatever product. And they always say, you saved $25 today, Ms. Rose. And I feel so proud of myself, but a lot of that was money I didn't need to spend anyway. Yeah. And now they know exactly what I want. So I'm going to end up with what, like a foot worth of coupons that I don't need and probably shouldn't be spending money on when I leave on my like receipt. It goes on for like a mile. They, they have it down to a science. Yeah. We're being targeted and tracked and uh, we're not aware of it. So what's the answer? I mean, we just have to be aware, just be smart. I mean, is there a way to, uh, you can't stop them from tempting hard. us, I guess. It's hard. You have to go in knowing what you want before you go in. And they have these strike zones, you know. you got to be careful. you got to be aware. Well, we're going to get some answers coming up here on The Matt Townsend Show. Show. I'm Julie Rose here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We've established already this hour that we are all consumers and that we're all susceptible to the wiles of advertisers and retailers. We buy this brand over that brand without really knowing why a lot of time. The, psycholog- the psychology of consumption is a fascinating field, and it's one that our guest here today on the show has studied extensively. He's here to share some insight on how we can be better, smarter consumers, maybe. Dr. Ian Zimmerman is a professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences at the University of Missouri, where he teaches courses on and conducts research in consumer psychology. The findings from his research have been published in academic journals and presented at international conferences. Dr. Zimmerman also writes a popular blog on psychologytoday.com. It's called Sold. It's a really good read if you want to check it out. Dr. Zimmerman, welcome to BYU Radio. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so uh, you wrote actually one of your blog posts that we are what we consume. 
I think maybe we've accepted that we are what we eat, but do our buying habits really define so much about who we are? Uh, They certainly can. I mean, we can certainly consume things to construct or maintain an identity. So how does that work? And and I guess, I mean, that's the, the point that advertisers are driving at, right? That we will associate their product with a certain lifestyle or level of success, maybe? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, um, that, I think that's a pretty common advertising message, you know, that there are certain products that are appropriate for certain lifestyles. And I think that people certainly absorb those messages and consume certain things in order to specifically project, uh, you know, a certain lifestyle and, uh, you know, commensurate image. So what's going on subconsciously then in your research on the psychology of this? What What is going on when we when we we feel a certain way when we see someone driving a luxury car versus when we see someone pull up in uh, a bargain vehicle from a lesser known brand or, or something like that what i mean is it all that we've just been shaped by by the media by advertising or is there something is there some sort of deeper psychological thing going on there well i mean i think that uh we have certain learned associations Uh, we have with certain products that may be automatically activated when we see those products. So, you know, if we see somebody pulling up in that luxury car, we uh, automatically associate that car with success. And, you know, that may have certain connotations and implications which then guide how we treat that individual driving the luxury car. And, you know, this can happen without are knowing it's happening, you know. So even if when we see an ad and we know that we're being manipulated by that advertisement, that that buying that BMW is not going to make us beautiful and sexy and wealthy, that somehow it still seeps into our subconscious and deep down inside we can't help but be affected by that? Well, I mean, I think that it's certainly possible to be skeptical of advertising, but, I mean, there's something called the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, mere exposure effect, which says that the more we see something or the more we're exposed to something, the more we start to like it. So when we're exposed to a massive advertising campaign where we hear the same message, over and over and over again, it uh, can become pretty difficult to not accept it. I mean, it's the kind of thing that even if somebody's seen an ad a hundred times, if you ask that person, you know, is this ad affecting you, the person will probably say, no, it's not. But um, in terms of that person's purchase behavior, a different story may uh, play out. Hmm. Is, is it different... For for adolescents, maybe children, as it is for adults. I mean, one of your posts, you talk about how we're in a culture that's so intertwined with consumption that it's inevitable that the things that we own come to represent us as people. 
Um, I wonder if, if young people are more susceptible or are we all equally susceptible as humans of all ages? Children are especially susceptible to advertising. Small children, specifically under the age of eight, will tend to believe advertising uh, claims literally. So, you know, they won't question uh, even, you know, absurd or uh, fantastic claims, hmm. which, um, which is why some people say that advertising ch- targeting children should be limited. Well, it certainly seems that it would be harder for a child to draw the line between fiction and reality. And so if I see between my cartoons in the morning as a kid that a certain kind of toy flies, I'm going to believe it flies whether or not it actually does get off the ground when I buy it and take it out of the case or that some kind of cereal is going to make me happy, whether there's, it's even a connection, right? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, when these, uh, when these outcomes don't occur, you know, when the toy doesn't fly or when the, uh, eating the cereal doesn't bring happiness, the child can get pretty disappointed and even angry. Mm-hmm. I-, I want to talk about this concept of happiness. You know, we, I-, I guess we all know that money can't buy happiness, right? Despite what we see in all the ads and what they would make us believe. But you've actually written that research shows buying stuff, that materialism can make us more, make us unhappy, make us less happy. How how does that work? Uh, People who are really materialistic, you know, people who feel as if their happiness is contingent upon having nice things tend to experience less well-being and less happiness. Um, because quite simply, they they will often substitute material possessions and their relationships with these possessions for relationships with other people. And I guess in some cases it's, well, I wonder if it's cause or effect, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? Are these, do people tend to be materialistic because they lack a certain sense of well-being or self-esteem? Therefore, they're unhappy, or, or, or does the, the materialism actually cause the unhappiness or the lower self-esteem? Do we know which, which, is, which starts first? Uh, I think that some people will be more materialistic as a way to compensate for perceived deficiencies. But I, I, they have conducted studies in which they found that... Um, making somebody more insecure will actually make a person more materialistic. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so is there a way to buy, consume that can make you happy? How do we, since we all have to consume, how do we consume in a way that is good for our well-being? Well, there's a a few ways we can actually become happier by consuming. I mean, regarding material possessions, it's not as if they absolutely cannot buy happiness. They can buy happiness to a point. Uh, specifically, buying material possessions will bring us happiness to up to about a comfortable lifestyle, you know, a middle class or upper middle class lifestyle. Hmm. 
but beyond that, it won't really bring happiness. So, you know, is the, uh, uh, you know, middle-class person going to be happier than someone who is homeless, all of the things being equal? Probably. But is the uh, difference in happiness between that middle-class person and the homeless person going to be significantly different from the difference in happiness between a rich person and a homeless person? Probably not. Hmm. So the extent... Now, I mean... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so the extent to which money can buy comfort and the meeting of basic needs, it, it can buy... That is happiness. It can buy happiness at that level. But when you talk about wants versus needs, I guess, or when we start buying for reasons other than to meet our basic needs, that's where we get into the, the grayer area. Right, yeah. It just doesn't, um, you know, a fair amount of research has shown that it just beyond that comfortable lifestyle, buying more things just doesn't really, uh, isn't really that helpful in terms of making you any happier. Hmm. So what's a strategy? Now, one, Please go uh, ahead. What's a str- uh, one area in which um, spending money can make us happy is in buying experiences. These hmm. are called experiential purchases. And these make us happier for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, memories for experiences are more likely to be recalled fondly. Uh, now, this is not true for memories of material possessions. Um, huh. Also, experiences tend to, or they make us happier because they tend to foster positive social relationships. So, for instance, um, experiences can serve as conversation pieces, you know, telling friends about uh, some vacation you took. Experiences can also be shared with other people, which fosters positive social relationships. This doesn't really, you know, material purchases and material possessions don't really foster positive social relationships, though, because, you know, for one thing, you can't really share a material possession. I mean, not in the same way you can share an experience. And somebody who uses a material possession as a conversation piece will often be viewed as materialistic. Mm. And we tend to view materialistic individuals unfavorably. Yeah. I guess that's it. Finally, go ahead. I was just going to say that's probably a good tip for gift giving then to uh, think about how you can give someone an experience as opposed to an object. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. And what was your final thought? I wanted to hear that, please. Oh, um, the third reason the experiential purchases can make us happier is that it's difficult to, or it's more difficult to make an unfavorable comparison with regard to experiences. You know, because experiences being a little more, I guess, you know, qualitative in nature makes them more difficult to compare. So, you know, if I took uh, a vacation to uh, Las Vegas and then the following year I took a vacation to Florida, 
it's not as easy to compare those two experiences as it would be to compare two articles of clothing or even two cars. Right, right. Interesting how consumption can really be tied up so much with our well-being. Uh, Dr. Ian Zimmerman, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about this whole concept of self-control and impulse buying. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Stay with us. Good afternoon. It's the Matt Townsend Show here on BYU Radio. I'm Julie Rose, sitting in for Matt Townsend, and we are privileged to have on the phone with us Dr. Ian Zimmerman of the University of Missouri, an expert in consumer psychology. We're talking today about consumption, about smart shopping, smart buying, and Dr. Zimmerman, I, I was hoping you could help shed a little bit of light on what I consider one of the more troubling aspects of shopping. It's this whole concept of impulse buying. I think, I think we all seem to fall for it at some point, and I guess I wonder why I'm so inclined to buy that gum or that candy or nail clippers or batteries or whatever that's displayed right there next to the register, even when I don't need it. I mean, what is going on there in my brain that makes me want to buy that? Well, I mean... It's a pretty big question, you know, why do we buy things on impulse? But generally speaking, we uh, buy things on impulse when we are less likely to be thinking, you know, specifically when we don't have the energy to uh, think and to resist buying urges. So they just wear us down? <laughs> Stores wear us down, and that's how they get us to buy stuff like that? Uh, well, I mean, they can, certainly. Uh, you know, if, if uh, you're going to the grocery store, or, you know, I should say when you're going to the grocery store, and you see all these products you want to buy, but for whatever reason um, don't, you know, maybe uh, you feel like you can't afford them, maybe you feel as if uh, it's too indulgent, or whatever, you know, every time you resist this buying urge, it kind of, you know, wears down on your, um, you know, mental energy stores. You know, it depletes that mental energy, which leaves you with less when you get to the, uh, you know, by the end of your shopping trip, which is why they always put that gum and candy at the, uh, right at the grocery checkout. Because they know that's when you're going to have uh, the uh, you're going to have less of this mental energy to use to resist the urge to buy these things. I suppose that's probably also why it's a relatively small dollar purchase for those last minute impulse buys. Because you know, if it was a hundred dollar something or other sitting on the counter, it might be easier for me to say no than if it's a fifty cent pack of gum. I guess. So they right exactly you know I mean we see these things and we say oh you know why not it's only a buck or fifty cents or or whatever yeah I, I think it certainly makes it easier for us to uh, succumb to temptation. Are some people just neurologically, psychologically more prone to impulse purchases? There is a personality trait called uh, an impulse buying tendency. And those with the trait will, on average, buy more on impulse. 
Where does that trait come from? Is this like a genetic coding kind of a thing or? Uh, no, that I couldn't say. I couldn't huh. really comment on the origin of the trait. Uh, I mean, now if you were to ask me if impulsivity in general has a, uh, an inherited component, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Hmm. Hmm. What is, oh, I guess, what are the hallmarks of that impulse, what did you call it, the impulse buying trait? What, how do I know if I've got it? Well, I mean, there are psychological inventories you could take in which you would just rate agreement with various statements that, um, that communicate, you know, impulsive behaviors. So, you know, you might say some, of the, some examples of these statements would be, I plan tasks carefully. And somebody who disagrees more with that statement would be a little more impulsive. Or, you know, somebody who disagrees with the statement I only buy things that I really need. Might be a little bit more of an impulse buyer. Uh, I mean, that's just a few examples. You know, um, we wouldn't infer a personality trait based on agreement with just one statement. Hmm. Something you talk about in your writing that I also think is really interesting is that when it comes to consumption, we say one thing when we're asked a question about our buying habits. But what we actually do doesn't always agree with what we're saying we do, right? I mean, we might say that we only buy things that we need, but that's not often the reality. What what causes that disconnect? Where is that coming from? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, there are a number of factors that can influence whether or not we'll buy something uh, in a store, you know, these factors exist in the store, or they may be uh, situational, and they may lead us to do things that would go against our better judgment. You know, they may lead us to do things that go against how we would behave or how we'd like to behave, I guess I should say. Hmm. I want to talk more in the next uh, segment here about the the things that that advertisers and stores do to get us to buy stuff even when we don't need it. Um, but just to wrap this uh, this segment out about impulse buying, I, I was hoping you could share with us maybe some tips on how we block the impulse, how we prevent ourselves from paying for stuff we don't need or didn't really plan on buying in the first place. Well, one good way to... Uh make yourself less impulsive is to, well, they found that experiencing positive emotions can help reduce impulsivity. So, you know, doing something that you know will make you laugh or will improve your mood before a shopping trip could actually reduce the number of impulse buys that you make. Or... You know, I guess with regard to buying food, uh, you know, the old uh, saying uh, that you should never go grocery shopping on an empty stomach, I think, is certainly true. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that idea is borne out by some empirical research showing that levels of glucose in the brain actually do influence impulsivity. So by eating something, I guess I should say... uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. Specifically, 
lower glucose is associated with greater impulsivity. So by eating something which raises glucose levels, you can actually become less impulsive. Hmm. Is that tied? I mean, maybe I wonder if that's tied to this whole idea of having energy to expend your willpower. <laughs> if you've got the the fuel in your system to be able to exercise your willpower a little bit longer, you'll be less likely to buy impulsively. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the, the glucose has been described as fuel for the brain. Hmm. Anything else we can do? So we want to be in a good mood and be sure to eat a snack before we go shopping. Anything else we can do to inoculate ourselves against the impulse to buy? Uh, I think, again, with regard to buying food, but, I mean, really this could apply to a lot of things, is uh, to create lists. Hmm. You know, if we have a shopping list and we tell ourselves, you know, I'm not going to deviate from this list, I'm only going to buy what's on the list, I think that can certainly help us to buy fewer things on impulse. I would think. And, uh, you know, if you do find yourself tempted to buy something, you know, you're experiencing an impulse buying urge, you know, reminding yourself not just that you don't want to buy this product, but why it's important not to buy the product can really help. So, for instance, uh, for somebody on a diet who is contemplating buying some kind of indulgent food that could violate the diet, it could really help to remind yourself why it's important to be on a diet and to lose weight. You know, I want to be healthier. I want to uh, reduce my risk of, uh, you know, becoming diabetic or getting heart disease or whatever. You know, the point is um, reminding yourself why something is important can be more effective than just reminding yourself that you need to do something. Hmm. I guess that goes back to the positive emotions, too. If there's a way to give yourself the positive feeling of, you know, I'm going to feel good if I say no to this or something like that, then you're able to kind of boost your ability to block the impulse. Right. Uh, any any evidence about the whole idea of shopping for an entire day versus just going for a quick spurt? The the longer the trip, the more impulsive you get. Uh, I would I would say that would be the case. Sure, yeah. That on a long trip, uh, we're more likely to buy more things on impulse, especially as uh, time goes on. You know, we're seeing things we want to buy. We're seeing things we like. And we don't typically buy every single thing we see that we like. So, and, you know, the act of resisting an impulse buying urge depletes limited mental energy that leaves us less able to resist things we haven't yet seen. Excellent tips there, Dr. Zimmerman. We have to take a quick break. Thank you for being with us and stay with us more on The Matt Townsend Show. Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back. 
Dr. Ian Zimmerman, a professor of consumer psychology and a researcher at the University of Missouri, is with me on the phone talking about how to make how to make us all better, better consumers, smarter shoppers, how to buy smart. Dr. Zimmerman, thank you so much for taking time with us this afternoon. Uh, just before the break, you were talking about some of the things we can do to re- reduce the impulse to buy. We can take shorter shopping trips. We can be in a good mood when we go shopping. We can uh, remind ourselves how 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 not buying that thing will be to our advantage. And uh, my personal favorite is that we can eat a snack before we go shopping. I, I'm always in a favor, a fan of eating snacks. So any, any excuse I can get to do that, that's great. So thank you for that. I was hoping you could maybe just share with us some of your insight as a researcher into, into the strategies that, that advertisers are using to get us to feel a certain way about their brand um, it seems like we've gone so far beyond the 30-second television ad. It's now any, te- any, any movie you watch will have all kinds of products that are embedded in there to try and get us to feel a certain way about, about a product. Is it working? And, and what do we know about, uh, about where advertisers are going with that kind of practice? Oh, um, I think product placement can certainly be effective. Uh, I mean... Uh, quite simply, you know, when we see a product placed in a movie or a TV show, we will typically like the product more afterwards. Now, one uh, caveat to this is that it's important for us to not view that placement as an advertisement. You know, if we view the placement as an advertisement. We just view it as um, uh, an attempt at manipulation, and we react negatively to that. But if we view it as simply, you know, a part of the story, you know, just something that the character happens to be using, then we react positively to it. So so long as we're skeptical about it, when we see that particular... Aston Martin or <laughs> brand of soda pop up in a, uh, or I guess Reese's Pieces is the famous example from E.T. when sales went up 65%. So long as we see it skeptically, we know it's an ad that we can sort of protect ourselves from the psychological effects of seeing that? Well, <laughs> not entirely. Oh, no. <laughs> and I guess this is the uh, uh, the big problem with uh, product placement from a consumer perspective is that while you know viewing a placement as an advertisement allows us to evaluate that product less favorably. You know that is to say, it allows us to um, have less favorable attitudes toward it. It doesn't necessarily prevent us from identifying more with the product. Mm. You know we may come to um, incorporate that product into our uh, our self-concept after seeing it placed in a movie or TV show. And these, um, or identification with a product can predict purchases just as attitudes can. So if we identify with the heroine, you're saying or with the storyline or something, we have a good experience with that film. It somehow touches us emotionally, which is the point with film, 
So if a film succeeds in touching us, reaching us in some way, we identify with it. We're sort of going to also identify <laughs> with all the products that were included in that production, whether we like it or not. Sure. I mean, if we see, you know, a liked character using a product, um, you know, to the extent we identify with that character and, you know, I like that character, we'll start to identify with the products used by that character. You know, it's kind of like the the thinking is that, well, you know, this character's product becomes my product. Yeah. Yeah. Well, advertisers are very explicit about that in a lot of ways. I mean, if you look at the actors who've played James Bond over the years, they also become the spokesman for the products that are placed in the films. And so, you know, it's if you want to be cool like James Bond, you buy that kind of watch or drink your drink in a certain way or whatever it is. I guess advertisers make no bones about it, and yet yet it's effective, so they may as well. Yeah, I think that uh, Sony products have been placed in James Bond films since the 1960s. Amazing. Uh, you know, up through uh, now. Now, I don't know. Um, now, in these days, I would say that Sony almost certainly pays for placements in James Bond movies. Did mm-hmm. Sony pay in the 1960s? I don't know, but I'd be interested to find out. Yeah. I think my understanding is it's a it's a large source of revenue these days for these uh, Hollywood production studios, even television shows. So what can we do, I guess, um, to protect ourselves from purchasing things from, I don't know, is there anything we can do? And I guess specifically I worry about children who are exposed and don't have the ability to think as critically about what they're seeing, the products that are placed in the shows they're seeing. Is there anything we can do short of just not seeing movies, not watching TV, not going online that will help to kind of control how we're being influenced by this stuff? I mean, you know, we can always do ads skeptically. Uh, I mean, one thing I, I can say is that these days, pretty much any product you see in a movie or a TV show is part of a paid promotion. I, you know, virtually never just a coincidence that, you know, character X happens to be using a certain brand of a certain product. Uh, so, you know, you when I, my point is that you can be safe in assuming that any product you see is a form of paid advertisement. And, you know, before you start to like that product because you saw a character you like using it, remind yourself that this is nothing more than an ad. You know, that you, if the producers of that product didn't pay the producers of that TV show to put the product into the TV show, you would not be seeing it in the TV show. That said, you know, that skepticism may still not prevent, you know, a kind of automatic identification with the product from occurring. And that's actually something I'm interested in researching further so I can try and develop ways to uh, help consumers, uh, uh, you know, resist this uh, process of, of identifying what products they see placed in TV and movies. Yeah. 
Short of not watching the movie, I don't know that there's any way, really, that we know of. Uh, I guess you can always just be very, very um, present when you're purchasing things and asking yourself, now, why am I leaning toward this brand? And is there another version of this that... And I don't know if you can manage to catch yourself before you purchase just based on one of these associations that you've made subconsciously. Seems kind of exhausting. Right. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Uh, so many of these uh, these influence tactics affect us without our explicit knowledge. Hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's I think it's the kind of thing that if you make somebody aware of it, the person may realize that it's occurring, but without that knowledge, they can affect you, uh, and you never even know it. So, I mean, I guess this is a little. Um, like changing gears a little bit, if you think about uh, sales pitches, mm-hmm. uh, one way that people or sales uh, reps will get us to buy things is with uh, what's called reciprocity. So, you know, if somebody offers us uh, some kind of favor or some kind of uh, free gift, you know, maybe in the form of a free sample, we're likely to reciprocate that by making a purchase. But we won't realize we are reciprocating a favor or reciprocating a gift uh, unless somebody tells us that's what's happening. You know, I'm, I'm glad you say that because I have, have this phobia of salespeople. When I go shopping, people say, can I help you find something? And I always say, no, 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 I'm just looking. Even if I actually could use some help or am looking for something because... I hate that once once someone helps me, I feel like I'm letting them down if I don't buy something from them. Like somehow they've done something for me. I have to do something for them. And I bought stuff that I didn't really want, didn't really fit right, didn't really like just because I had this, I don't know, guilt towards this salesperson. So, Right. I mean, we, we've all been taught from a young age to uh, re- return favors in kind. Mm. So, you know, when somebody, uh, when a sales rep goes out of his or her way to work with us and to help us find something we like, we do feel as if this person is doing us a favor. And we have this strong urge to return that favor. Well, Dr. Zimmerman. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to thank you. It's a powerful form of Mm -hmm. uh, social influence. It, it is. It is. And it's connected right to our pocketbook. And going back to the start of our conversation, it's connected to our sense of well-being as well. So it's a it's a complicated thing, a lot to think about. Thank you so much for sharing that insight. I do have one quick question for you. Do you like to shop? I, uh, I can enjoy shopping. I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. I feel like the more I study these uh, issues, the more utilitarian my shopping becomes. <laughs> it probably takes the fun out of it. The magic is gone, I guess, now that you know how people are influencing you. Well, hopefully we'll be smarter shoppers as a result of your input. Where can people find you and your work online if they'd like to read more about uh, your study? My blog is available at Psychology Today. The title of the blog is Sold. And I have a profile at the University of Missouri, which includes bibliographical 
entries for some research I've published. Great. Great. Well, uh, I can say that that sold blog is really fascinating. You can find a lot more information about the topics we've discussed here today when you go to psychologytoday.com. Look for Dr. Ian Zimmerman. Thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. Really appreciate your time. Always my pleasure, Julie. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Dr. Zimmerman is a professor in the Department of Psychological Sciences at the University of Missouri. You are listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. More to come. Good conversation yet to be had. So stay with us. Good afternoon, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend is on vacation on a, I don't know, a desert island somewhere, <laughs> deserted island, or actually, I think it's a cruise ship he's on. We are filling in for him today. I'm Julie Rose, sitting in his rather large seat when it comes to filling his shoes. But we've had some great conversation uh, with Dr. Ian Zimmerman about consumer psychology, why we buy what we buy, and I have to say a little bit of a disconcerting uh, final message there that basically there's no way you can fight it. Do not resist. (laughs) Advertisers will get you. They will reach your subconscious whether you want them to or not. Well, we're going to shift gears just a little bit here and uh, talk about some of the stereotypes related to consumption. Shopping is a women's sport, right? Women shop and men I don't know, don't, or they hate to, you know, you always, I actually, it's true. You do see a lot of husbands and brothers and boyfriends sitting, holding shopping bags out in the middle of the mall, waiting for whoever she is inside the store to come on out. You know, I have to say that I have known many men who do enjoy shopping that retail therapy, they just do it a little differently. You know, Uh they're, they're at Lowe's or Home Depot (laughs) instead of Nordstrom, maybe, but yeah, oh, right. All the gear, the electronic. But studies have shown that men and women, they shop differently, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we always kind of go off that stereotype. I I love the phrase like a boyfriend chair, the husband chair that's outside the dressing rooms. (laughs) They obviously need a rest while all the trying on is going on. And uh, retailers have really responded to this and have actually... They work on gender-based selling. So Hmm. they'll gear all of their advertising, but not only their advertising, but a lot of their customer service toward these gender-based shopping styles. Really? So the biggest thing is that women are more um, affected by the experience. Stereotypically speaking, obviously we don't want to make blanket statements, but Mm -hmm. research shows women are more affected by the experience. And so – for women, shopping is an experience. They are happy to meander through things. They're happy to wander through other departments to find what they need. Um, they don't mind the fact that they might have to go past some things. They love it if a store is pretty. They like it when people talk to them. And so um, retailers will instruct their people to go out and be on the floor to look for women to help, to give them feedback, to make sure that they have a personal experience and a personal interaction hmm. with the store so that they because they're more likely to buy something to not to buy something but to have a positive experience if they also have a positive experience with the other people there and with just kind of how they feel there in general 
It, well, it's true that a lot of times women will see shopping as sort of recreation, kind of as a yeah. sport. But it's really more about the. Ex- I mean, they may not really buy anything. You don't have no. to buy to have a successful shopping no, experience as a woman. You can love a store and not not. I mean, I always buy. walk into anthropology. I love anthropology. Yeah, I never buy anything there, but it's a beautiful experience. It's this a must be store. why we have stores that. I don't know. I, I, I guess I think of Nordstrom as like the ultimate sort of shopping experience for yes. women of mm-hmm. a certain era, right? Yes. Where there's a pianist playing like <laughs> like romantic background music uh-huh. live right in the middle of... I mean, they used to do this. I don't know if they still do, but Nordstrom used to have like a pianist yeah. right there. And there's always the coffee shop mm-hmm. or the little cafe. And, you know, back to a certain era when shopping was also about stopping for lunch and having tea or yep. whatever. That, exactly. I guess there is some of that kind of... Mm-hmm. So so I, I, we've got Mike Pond, our producer here, also Merritt, to kind of offer the man's perspective. Does, does what Merritt said about what affects... Women, the whole experience is that. Does that ring true for you as a shopper? Yeah, I don't know if you saw my my face as I'm sitting here. In there the was a lot of eye yeah. rolling. I did notice. <laughs> I, I hate shopping. Okay, I hate all of that. I just want to get in the store and get out. You know, I I, I hate shopping for clothes, but I, I do like going to Home Depot and looking at power tools. Even though I hate home improvement stuff and working like physical yeah. labor, I, I like to look at that stuff and I don't know buy you know a new belt to put my hammer in that I'll never use, that kind of stuff. But I, that is just not not yeah. me. I, I just do not like shopping. Get in and get out. Well, yeah. I, you know, there is one thing, Merritt, you sent me a few pieces of information. And one thing that I just thought was hilarious and really kind of sums up what we're talking about here is that when they surveyed people, men and women, about their shopping experience, the number one problem that women said they had, 29% of women said that their number one shopping problem was that they didn't have the help when they needed it. They mm-hmm. didn't they couldn't find a salesperson to help them find what they wanted when they needed it, right? Well, the number one problem for men was that there wasn't enough parking close to the store entrance. <laughs> 29% of men <laughs> they said could that not escape difficulty finding parking close to the store's entrance was their number one problem, which is yeah. I wouldn't even have thought to say that in a in a survey. <laughs> I don't love shopping either, but it's but but I think that really sort yeah, of kind of definitely. underscores this idea of experience versus I don't know results oriented. Maybe mm-hmm. that that the male shopper yeah stereotypically I love the way has. That, um, one study phrased it was that for men, shopping is a mission. Hmm. They go in, they have, they mean, it's like you're Indiana Jones. You have your treasure map. This is what you want. You're going to go in. You're going to go out. Just like Mike was saying. They don't Give a care. stopwatch in yeah. your left hand. You know, how fast can I do it? <laughs> avoid all avoid? The, the employees. Yeah. I actually think that shopping with a mission is part of what makes shopping not very much fun. I, I, it's true. I'm, yeah. Because I am more of a... A male shopper, I think, psychologically. Mm-hmm. I, I do not really enjoy just spending a day meandering stores, just looking and trying things on. It's a little exhausting. I yeah. like to yeah. have, like, that's not fun for me. I, I like to, I like to have a mission. And, but when I have a mission, it is so frustrating. I just oh, recently spent an entire week shopping with a mission. I was helping my sister who is, her job is to do wardrobe for film and for mm. for, oh, wow. for for music videos and things like that, right? So she had a project. We were looking for very specific things in very specific colors and sizes, a specific look. We went to every mall within like 100 miles of our city. And <laughs> I was miserable and exhausted oh, at the definitely. end of each day because it's like we're into the store. We're looking for this one thing. Oh, we can't find it. we got to go to the next one and the next one. It was just I, I was like this, this ruins shopping for yeah. me completely. I, I, I hate shopping and I definitely 
definitely do not want this job. I yes, told my definitely. sister, more power to you. Some people must be able to really do that and, yeah. and feel feel it. But shopping with a mission, I guess that uh, that maybe that's why men don't really love. A lot of yeah. men don't love shopping. It's true because if you can't find exactly what you need it's a in the time frame that you have, it's frustrating. I I have to like give myself some leeway because I'm not exactly I'm not a recreational shopper. I'd say, but. So when I go in, I have to know I know what I'm buying, but I have to make sure that I'm not buying something so specific that I won't be able to find it. Because mm-hmm. I can guarantee that if I want a pair of black pants in a certain style, they won't have that certain style. Mm-hmm. But if I just say any pair of black pants, then that's a lot easier to look for and you're probably more open to the other yeah. options that but you But won't you leave with four or five pairs of black pants then? <laughs> no. Because I'm only looking for one pair. No, of okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm curious to know. Do we know anything about whether men or women are more susceptible to, I don't know, like the mannequins, like buying off the mannequin or yeah, that definitely. kind of thing? For again, it's the experience. So when women see that and they see probably, I would agree that most mannequins they're dressed very well. It's pretty. It's nice to look at. And so that's again part of the experience. They're more drawn to the color of something. Hmm. And the look of something than a man would. But if the mannequin doesn't represent the mission for a guy, then that probably won't have anything to – won't impact yeah. his shopping. Um, interestingly, though, I, that's kind of the overall research, but st- studies of younger people, younger demographics, like the millennial Gen Y crowd, they – are quite different in their shopping. In fact, there was one study done by, it's called WSL, it's a retail strategy firm, mm. and they did a bunch of surveys, and they found out that men usually ask for help at a higher rate. What? That's yes. like completely contrary to the it's whole men don't contrary. ask for directions yes. idea. I know, which I thought was absolutely Wait, fascinating. Mike, do you ask for help when you go looking no, for something? No, I, I was once given a survey for some extra like rewards card or something. And on the survey, that was one of my complaints is they came in too many times and asked me, hey, excuse me, uh, can we help you? <laughs> no, leave me alone. I want to find it myself. Yeah, you know? Exactly. That's, exactly. that's a very <laughs> interesting study. Huh. Yeah. So kind of the idea I think behind it was that if they're not sure where to find something or if they are not exactly specific, they're just going to ask somebody to get it over with. That was kind of the impression that I had. But it's also just kind of studies of younger male shoppers show that they shop more and they shop more like women Mm. than previous generations. Younger, the millennials are... Younger, the younger generation. Interesting. That it's just kind of less of a thing for them and I know I have a 16 year old brother who is he loves to dress like a gentleman and he is definitely different he goes in kind of with the mission things but he will spend more time on it he'll be more open to asking for help if he can't find exactly what he needs well and I would think millennials are really comfortable with shopping by app shopping online and let's face it the the ability to browse online first is a godsend for the whole shop with a mission concept (laughs) right so I don't know maybe it's great men men are more likely to do more shopping and enjoy it now that they can do the browsing online and go in and try on a few things and embrace their consumer side well we have to take a break and then we're going to take advantage of having a female in the seat here to talk to the ladies about shopping tips on the Matt Townsend show
to the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Julie Rose, filling in for Matt Townsend today. Good to be with you. We've been talking about consumption. I don't know if you feel like going on a shopping spree or not after all we've just discussed, but I certainly feel a little wiser about how to approach my purchasing uh, decisions in life. And we right now are going to talk specifically to the ladies who end up having to do a lot of the shopping in their families and, as we just discussed, tend to do a lot of shopping recreationally for the experience So we have with us something of an expert. Brooke Walker, one of our regular contributors, is with us by phone to give us a woman's no-guilt guide to shopping. Brooke, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you over the radio. I have to say, I usually tell Matt... I preface all my thoughts and opinions by I'm no expert, but today, the topic of shopping, I feel like I am an expert, so thank you for that introduction. Sure, well, we should, and we should at least establish that you are the host and executive producer of Studio 5 with Brooke Walker. You're part of the KSL News team as well, so... Uh, you, I'm sure, have spoken with a lot of uh, a lot of stores, a lot of people, a lot of shoppers, and of course, we have our personal experience, don't we? Just with having to buy things. That's where most of my experience comes from. Is just you know, feet hitting the pavement, pounding the aisles with TJ Maxx myself. So yeah, <laughs> I like shopping like the next girl. TJ Maxx, you mentioned. So you're a you're a discount girl, a sale. Do do you fall for sales like I do? I mean, I'm like go to straight to the clearance rack, and if it's cheap, I'll buy it, even if I don't want it. And isn't there much more satisfaction, Julie, when you find something you love and then it's on sale? It's like bonus day. It's true. It is kind of, I love going to thrift stores because I feel like I'm treasure hunting. Like Mm -hmm. somewhere in this mass of chaos and off-putting smell, there is going to be something awesome. And I'm going to be so excited when I find it. Nobody else has it. And I only paid $3 for it. Right. It's like BYOCW. Bring your own Clorox wipes. Bring this hand sanitizer, and anyone can get through a thrift store and feel like they came out better on the other side. <laughs> Good. I think we're kindred spirits then. So tell me, uh, tell me what, what's on your no-guilt guide to shopping. What's the... Okay. I have three tips. Are you ready? Ready. Hit some me. Some of these I've discovered myself. Some of these have been shared with me by the best of girlfriends, and the first one fits in that second category. So in college, I had a dear girlfriend named Nicole, and she taught me the skill of shopping math. So woman's guide to no guilt guide to shopping. Number one is do the shopping math. Meaning if you buy a belt that's $40, if you wear that belt once, then it really costs $40. But go with me, Julie. If you wear this boot belt twice, it's going to cost you. Uh, oh, you're going to make me do math live on the air? $20. <laughs> I can do 40 divided by two. There I can do go. that. I tried to pick a good even number. <laughs> yeah, kind of in your head. I mean, it's a tongue-in-cheek approach to justifying, I think, our, our shopping and spending habits. But I think there's also some practical application to that, right? So you really have to say in your mind, how often am I going to wear that? Do a little quick math. Pull out your iPhone if you need to and access the handy-dandy calculator. But just do a loose calculation of if it's a, if it's a necessity, a pair of jeans or a black trench coat or something I'm going to wear a lot that's obviously the value of it is going to increase in terms of how often you wear it compared to the cost of the actual item. So do the shopping math is my tip number one. How do you like that? Well, I do like that. But I think also this is where I get into some trouble, too, because, you know, I'm a bargain shopper. I love a a discount. I love clearance racks. I don't buy anything that's full price. And yet sometimes I, I, I turn down a full price item because I feel like it's more than I should spend on a pair of pants. And yet... It's one of those basics, you know, if I were to honestly do the math on it, I'm going to, it's worth it to pay for the quality. It'll last me longer, theoretically, right? Not Mm -hmm. always, but if you can buy higher quality. Yeah. 
I think every fashion expert would agree with you, and I'm no designated fashion expert, but I would agree. I think if you invest in a piece that's, that's a quality piece that will, last, that will last you longer, and it does last you longer, then that price point becomes a little easier to swallow. Hmm. Okay. All right, point number two. This is a big one. Follow your heart. We're entering the month of love. And so really ask yourself, are you in love with this item? I loved the little clip off of the blind side. Sandra Bullock's character, um, Leanne Tui, kind of says to, she takes a young man shopping and she says, you're going to love this item the very most in the store. And it was kind of a comedic relief moment. It was like a point, you know, a, a point in the, in the film where everyone in the theater laughed because she was being so silly about it. But I mm. think there's some truth to that. You are going to love the item the very most in the store. So really ask yourself, follow your heart. Am I in love with this item? because that relationship's just going to go downhill when you take it home and it's in your own closet and you're trying to wear it, wear it or use it day in and day out. So really follow your heart. How deep is that? Yeah. Again, though, easier said than done because sometimes I love it on me in the dressing room and then mm-hmm. my mirror just doesn't have the same magic to it when I get it home and I'm thinking, oh. I guess maybe maybe a little side tip would be don't be afraid to take it back, right? There I don't you go. Know. <laughs> you can always return. You can always return. I like that. I like that. But we, we really are, our society is, we're consumers of things. I mean, we have so many things, not even necessities, just objects and whether it's clothes or decor or I don't know how stocked your pantry is, but I tend to buy in threes. We're just consumers of things. And so mm-hmm. really asking yourself, do I love it? In addition to asking yourself, do I need it? I think there's kind of a, a two-prong approach there to really, really, you know, purchasing, making a smart purchase, doing a smart buy. And the third thing is three times a charm. So basically whenever I buy an item of clothing, and I love clothes like the next gal, but I'll always ask myself immediately on the spot, can I think of three different ways I would wear this? Or if I'm buying a home decor piece, for example, or a book, I will think, you know, am I going to use this book or am I going to use this piece of home decor more than one time? In fact, three times is my limit, three times a charm. I have to be able to think in my head, Three different ways, three different scenarios, three different days or times or purposes that I can use this item, and that kind of helps soothe the shopping heart and justify the buy. Mm, that's connected to the doing the math, and I guess, you know, it, it's it's often it can be the deal breaker. I wish I wish I did it more, but when I really stop to this this amazing top that I just think is so cool and funky, and I'm fixing to buy it, and then if I stop and think, do I have anything I can wear this with? Like, is there anything in my closet that this goes with? Right. You know, how many times have I brought it home and said, oh, this is awesome, but I got to wear something with it. Now I have to go buy something to go with it. There you go. It's this perpetual cycle. And you really do have to consider the bang for your buck. I mean, not many people have the luxury, I know I don't, of just buying something and wearing it once or wearing it one way. I mean, you really, on TV, we think about this all the time because viewers have such great memories. So I can wear a dress on a show, for example, and if it's made a statement, those viewers are going to remember what it looked like, and heaven forbid I wear it a month later. But if you can style that piece of, you know, a couple of different ways, three times, three different ways, in fact, then you're able to get a little more longevity out of the item mm. and get more bang for your buck that way. Yeah. You talk about styling. I think some people just have that knack and some people don't. I, I, um, I have learned that I do my best most successful clothing shopping when I have my sister with me because she has a good eye and she understands how to style and what looks good and what doesn't. And I just don't feel like I can be trusted to look at myself and get it. I don't know that we, any of us can be trusted to look at ourselves and say, oh yeah, this fits right. Or that looks good from behind. I think soliciting outside opinions is always good. In fact, just about a month ago, we were welcoming Ann Romney to the studio. And so kind of a high pressure interview, right? Mm -hmm. Not every day you get to interview the wife of a former presidential candidate. And certainly has, she has some additional appeal here in Utah, but I did a quick 
text poll to my sisters. I have three sisters and a mom who are more than willing to help out. So I did a quick this dress or that dress, and all four of them, see, I was leaning toward dress number A. All four of them came back with a unanimous dress number B. And so I thought, see, there you go. There's proof that outside opinion always is helpful. Right, right. Well, so I I have to ask you something, just considering the fact that you're in television, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. people see what you're wearing. I personally have only ever spent my broadcast career in radio where I could show up in pajamas with my hair not combed and no one would ever know. No one would be the wiser. You lucky girl. Yes, but you look great on television. Most people I see on television always look amazing. And sometimes I'm like, where did they come up with that? But that looks good. So (laughs) first of all, is someone guiding you about what you wear? And second of all, do you get some sort of a budget for clothes when you're in television? You're giving away all my secrets. Uh, Well, you know, inquiring minds. We're talking about shopping here. I feel like the door's wide open. Well, then I feel obliged to answer that question. Yes, I do work with a stylist. Her name is Allie Henry. She's fantastic. She actually lives in Minnesota, but she comes out here to Utah where we film and broadcast from quite often. Hmm. So I get with her whenever I can. And like you said, she's one of those people that just has an eye, someone that can look at my closet in a totally different way. And I don't think any, any woman needs a stylist necessarily to help her do that. But I think just getting that outside opinion or, or bringing someone over and having them look at your closet, they're going to look at it with completely different eyes, right? They're going to look at it with a fresh take. And a lot of times Allie will suggest, well, why don't you wear this top? And in my head, I'm thinking, I bought that three years ago. I've worn it 10 times. I'm so sick of it. But suddenly she likes it and she thinks it's a great piece. And so it kind of renews my interest and my appeal to that particular shirt or dress or whatever. So just having someone's outside enthusiasm when it comes to wardrobe. And if you feel like you're stuck, I mean, some women could care less and that's great. Go, go you. But if you do have that feeling like I'm stuck in my closet, I have nothing to wear, Bringing in some outside eyes, I think, is super helpful. And one thing I really like about Allie is she kind of does a dress for dummies for me. So we'll style a bunch of outfits. She'll snap a picture on my iPhone. And so I have this little portfolio, if you will, of outfits. And that might seem excessive for someone outside television, and I understand that. But I think it's some, there's something to it, every woman having a few go-to outfits, like two or three pre-assembled in-your-mind outfits that you can pull on in a pinch, like you get asked to go to dinner with some friends or you get asked to go to the husband's work party or whatever the event may be, but just some outfits that you already have thought in your head, I know that's going to look great together, I've gone through the hassle of trying it on, I feel good in it, the clothing fits, that's a huge part of it, I know the accessories that will complement that, you've got those outfits pre-selected in your mind, it makes getting dressed a lot easier and quite frankly a lot more fun. It does. I There's nothing more frustrating. Well, there are many things that are frustrating in life, but I really don't like the standing in front of my closet, a closet full of clothes and thinking, right. I don't have anything to wear. What do I, right. what do, I do? Like, I don't have something that, because you know, the other thing, since we're just talking here between girls, it's it's amazing how, I don't know if men have the same experience. I think they do actually, but when you've worn something and you've had a good experience, maybe you had a great date in a certain shirt that you were wearing or you did a great interview or you I don't know what it is like you know we have a great memory attached to a piece of clothing yes it's it's somehow like you know shapes the way we feel when we put it on and it can become your go-to it's amazing how we've spent the whole last hour and a half talking about the psychology of consumption and you know there's no way around it we are attached to certain brands and certain items and because of all of the emotion that we feel that goes on when we're either wearing it or or seeing it worn by others. I am so with you. I don't know about you, but growing up, my mom always put a little bit of emphasis on the first day of school outfit, right? Mm. And First impressions. Yeah, we joke about that. And certainly there is a first impression factor too, but there's something about that confidence that comes from just feeling your best. It doesn't mean you have to be wearing 
the greatest labels or it doesn't mean that you have to be dressed head to toe in a certain brand. But I think there is something about putting your best foot forward, feeling confident in how you look that allows you then to present yourself, I think, in a more accurate way. But, yeah, I totally agree with you. There are memories associated with different outfits, and that can kind of tie into your feeling about how you do or do not look in those that outfit. You, whenever you have a, a tricky interview that you want to rock on television, you're going to pull out that same, that same Ann Romney dress, right? Exactly. <laughs> the Ann Romney dress comes out of the closet. And then I will say, since Matt's away, can we talk about him? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, let's okay, do it. So just last week, we were in the middle of it. You know, Matt frequently comes on my show as a contributor, and uh-huh. you know, I return the favor, and that's why we get to talk to you today. But he, in the middle of his segment, said, um, or right before his segment, rather, in the middle of our show, Right before the interview, right before we went on, he said, I asked my wife today if I should wear the collar in or the collar out. And I said, well, what did she say? He goes, well, she said to ask you. <laughs> so even, even Matt Townsend taking the clothing poll about how it should look, and you can razz him about that when he gets back. But sometimes men think about it, I think, a little bit more than they care to admit. Not all men. But I, I think they do. And I know that there are that all of the men that I've ever known have had a certain sweatshirt or pair of jeans or something that they just really were attached to because of all that was tied up in what they'd experienced with it. So it's true. I mean, we're consumers, whether we like it or not. It's part of, I guess, being in this world. You have to buy stuff and you have to wear clothes and have emotions about it. Let me ask you one more thing before we uh, say goodbye to you, Brooke. I'm curious about the whole, if you have any tips about online shopping, I guess specifically for clothes, it's something I haven't really embraced yet, but I know a, a whole lot of people who shop for shoes online, clothes online. How do you do that successfully? Have you figured that out? couple of tips that I just passed along, again, just from my personal experience, I would say always look for an online retailer who has some sort of return policy that you can accommodate, right? So whether that's um, free returns, whether that's they provide the shipping label and all you have to do is push print and slap it on the the, the box or the return bag. But I think a lot of times you people buy online without really considering what happens on the other end, particularly with clothes like you talked about. If you mm. do have to send that back... I am pretty picky about where I shop online. I actually only shop. It's funny. I I shop online a lot, but I do my returns in person. So because sizing is so tricky and I'm a tall, I'm a tall gal. So it's hard to know length and all of that. I'll usually order more than one size. Mm. Kind of defeats the purpose of online shopping because I guess I'm getting into the store eventually, but I'll usually order more than one size and I can try it on in the comfort of my own home at my convenience. And then I'll make usually at the end of the month, one big roundup of returns and hit them all or, you know, hit the stores that I've ordered from over the last month and, and take, the, take, those, take those sizes back. And my husband makes fun of me relentlessly because he thinks, again, that defeats the purpose of online shopping. But there's something about the convenience factor of just knowing those clothes are coming right to your home, those shoes are coming right to your home. And as long as the return process isn't too, isn't too complicated, then I don't mind a little return trip at the end of the month. That's my philosophy. Yeah. I don't know. Are you a big online shopper? Uh, no, I have not purchased any clothing online. I, I mean, once upon a time, I would buy something out of a catalog because yeah. that seemed so, I don't Catholic. know, yeah, fancy <laughs> to buy something out <laughs> okay. of a catalog. But, but you know, I, I, I have not embraced the online shopping for clothes because I cannot tell how something is going to fit me until I put it on. I have the hardest time telling just by looking at a pair of pants or even a pair of shoes whether or not it's going to fit me right or be comfortable. But I will say I do think you're right. It's, it's all about the return policy. And some of these online retailers have figured it out. I have a friend who has very specific, unusual-sized feet, and she... 
She shops, uses a specific online shoe store that has like free returns and stuff comes the next day that you order it. And she will routinely, she would routinely at work get a new box, just trying them on, just seeing if they fit. Oh, no, not fitting. (laughs) She's sending them back. You know, she wasn't, it was an amazing thing for me to watch, but I thought, well, she's going to find exactly what she wants for the right price that way. You just have to be maybe a little more patient, you know, be willing to wait for it to arrive on your doorstep rather than go out and find it. I totally, totally connect with that idea. You should try it, Julie. That's your challenge is to maybe purchase something clothing related online. If there were an online thrift store, eBay, you know, I could probably get behind eBay. There you go. There you go. That's a big business, they say. Brooke Walker from Studio 5 with Brooke Walker on KSL. Thank you so much for coming on the Matt Townsend Show today. Always great to talk. serious, thoughtful, and informative topic yet, Julie, so thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) We hit hard here on the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, I can tell. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. It's Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio Station. Stay with us. More fun yet to come. Well, thanks for hanging with us here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Julie Rose. We've been talking about consumption, about shopping, about how we're influenced by advertisers. And, you know, to be quite frank, I'm uh, I'm a price point person. That really is where uh, the decision lies for me. The price has got to be right in order for me to, to make that purchase. So we thought it would be fitting, apropos, to go out on this show this afternoon with a little game. We're going to test our own acumen at uh, identifying prices for things. We have one of our producers, Jessica, has prepared for us a game that we are going to play in her absence. And to uh, fill the role of Drew Carey on our own Matt Townsend, the price is right. We have Matt Townsend producer, James, going to be our announcer for us today. So what do we got? Well, for today on The Price is Right, we're going to have a competition between all three of you guys. It's going to be great. So to start off, to decide on the order of who plays the which game, we're going to see who can guess the closest price on an item. Whoever's the closest goes first, second closest goes second, and third closest goes last. So here's the question. How much does the paperback book Twilight by Stephanie Meyer cost at Barnes and Noble? Oh, jeez. Barnes and Noble. It's more expensive. Paperback though, paperback Barnes, and Noble? Barnes and Noble. I'll go nine dollars. Nine bucks. Nine dollars for, for Mike. Mike. Mike's nine bucks. It's a Barnes and Noble. I say this is Julie. Are we I like say a yeah, no, no. I say eleven ninety-five. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go ten ninety-nine. All right, the correct answer is $9.10. Nice. So, Mike, you're up yes. first. You bought that last week, right, Mike? You- <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I read the whole series. It's, it's, it's actually quite good. <laughs> it's a, okay, so the order we're going to go in is Mike, Merritt, and then Julie. Okay? All right. So, all right, the first game. Okay, I'm ready. It's Hit me with it. Pass the Buck. All right, so I'm going to give you two items and then tell you their prices. One of the items is a dollar short of its real price. You need to decide which item needs another dollar and pass the buck to that item. Okay, you oh, ready, this Mike? This complicated. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Round one. Item one is Fancy Cakes from Little Debbie. It contains 10 cream-filled white cakes. And item two, the 16-ounce carton of liquid eggs made with all-natural egg whites. Liquid eggs? Yes, liquid <laughs> eggs. Okay, the price for the Fancy Cakes is $1.79 and the liquid eggs, two seventy-nine. Which needs the extra dollar? Oh, uh... Let's go with the fancy cakes. 
Oh, gosh. I knew that was wrong right when I said it. Okay, here, we'll, we'll give you another shot. Okay. Round two. The item one is lint cloth used for dusting called screen chamois. A lint cloth? Yes. Okay. It's screen chamois. All right? All right, got and it. And the second ad- item is a 16-ounce bag of Kraft marshmallows. Okay? Okay, the got it. The prices are... Wait, fluid ounces or... The normal ounces. ounces, just ounces. Marshmallows, okay, got it. fluid, come on. <laughs> okay, here we go. So the prices for the dusting cloth is five ninety nine, and the marshmallows is one fifty nine. What needs the buck? Uh, let's go with the marshmallows. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that one. Oh no, he's no, right. No, no. Oh, okay. The marshmallows. <laughs> Okay. Merritt looked at me like I was completely wrong. <laughs> hey, this is competition. Okay. We're going for the final round. Okay. So in the final round, you have to choo- choose two numbers from one to six. Out of the three mo- numbers, behind the numbers, you have a car, $3,000, and $5,000. And the other um, three numbers, you lose everything. Okay. Okay. If you choose everything, you lose everything. Uh, if you get the right, uh, the answer right from round two or round one, you can have an extra chance and not lose everything once. Okay, All so right. you have one extra chance. Okay, so can I can I choose my numbers? Now? Yeah, one to six. What number? Three. Mike, you just won yourself a car. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> okay, get one more chance. This is almost as exciting as actually being on the show. Yeah, this is great. Okay, another another okay. chance. Okay, not three. Any other number? Um, uh, six. Uh, Unfortunately, Mike, it. you lost everything. <laughs> you just lost your car. Oh, oh no. there it goes. Just as easy as you want it, you lost it. Oh. All right, Merritt, oh, on shit. to you. Okay. The game two is five price tags, okay? You have a shot at winning a brand new Toyota Yaris. Ooh. If you can guess the price range, now you have one shot and five price tags. So the five, the five price tags are 18000 19000 17000 16000 and 20000 Okay. So you only have one chance to choose one of the the price tags, and since these odds aren't, odds aren't very good, I'll give you a shot at earning up to four guesses to help you out. Okay. So you, these are going to be true or false questions on different items and their prices. Okay. So item number one, a ten ounce mug that looks like a camera lens, priced at forty dollars. Is that true or false? You got this, Merritt. It looks like a camera. I would say I false. I can't even picture that. very expensive. <laughs> 40 bucks, yeah. <laughs> Is it made out of a camera lens? <laughs> it looks like a camera lens, and you are correct. All it's right. false. Nice. It's 30 bucks. Good oh, job. Oh, wow. Still. Yeah, it's still pretty expensive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right. And item two is a citrus juicer with a self-detecting on-off switch priced mm-hmm. at $74. I'd say True. Correct. Wow. Job well done. You know your citrus juicers. Apparently. I need to take you shopping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Item three is an electric ice cream maker that produces up to four quarts produced priced at $41. True or false? I'm going to say false. Correct again. Wow. Wow. You're you're on a streak. Yeah. You're on a roll. roll. (laughs) Yeah. It's actually priced at $60. So about $19 higher. So item number four. Blow dryer with two speeds and three heat settings, priced at $60. True or false? Uh, False. Correct again. Oh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Does she have the answers up there? Yeah. She must see through this paper that I'm reading (laughs) off of. So that the, so it's twenty dollars actually a lot yeah, less that's expensive. What I thought. Yeah, that that seems very sixty dollar hair dryer hair better. Hair. Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sixty dollar hair straightener that I could believe. Yes. Okay. 
Um, so you have four guesses then from the correct answers. Okay. For the Toyota Yaris, how much does it cost? Your options are 18000 19000 17000 16000 and 20000 18,000. Nope. What? Three more guesses. 19,000. <laughs> no. Two more guesses. Think think before 16, you 16,000. Nope. One more guess. Okay. 17,000. Correct. Job well done. Good All work, right. Matt. Okay, Julie. Last game, All real right. quick. I only shop at thrift stores, so here I crash and burn. Well, Watch guess me what go. the name of the last game is? The bargain game. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> made for me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Here we go. Here's the rules. I've got two items, a pool table and an HDTV. Oh. Both prices are discounted from their original price. You have to decide which item has a bigger discount than the other. All right. All right? Okay, so um, item number one, the pool table, is priced at $1,600, and the HDTV is $2,600. Which one has a bigger discount from its original actual price? Pool table for $1,600, HDTV for how much again? $2,600. HDTV. Incorrect. The actual price of the pool table is $2,600, so that's a discount of $1,000. The actual price of the HDTV is $3,100, actual price of $500. Clearly, I've never purchased either. Not sure I ever will, but now I know. And hopefully you know a little more about how to buy smart, how to be a better consumer. Thanks for being with us on the Matt Townsend Show today. I'm Julie Rose. This is Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Have a great evening.